here's my conversation with Shandae Person. Shandae is a UI engineer at Salesloft, an egghead instructor, a blogger, and a speaker. Shandae and I talk about her journey into tech, how she taught herself to code without a bootcamp, and how to stand out as a non-traditional job applicant. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for joining me and coming on. Thanks, Madison, for having me. Good to talk to you. I want to kind of take it back a little bit to how did you first get interested in coding? I feel like it. there was one moment, but it really was a culmination of a number of events that led me to deciding to switch careers and, and get into engineering. My introduction to engineering as a career was when I had my first corporate sales job at a company called MathWorks. And I was selling engineering software to engineers and scientists. And um, before that, my the stereotype that I believed in about engineers was that engineers are nerds and needed CS degrees, very good in math, sit in dark rooms and code all day. And they know all those zeros and ones and how to interpret that and what all that means. Um, it was reinforced by selling to rocket scientists and PhDs. <laughs> and um, so I got a firsthand look into um, what they were doing with the platform, their level of education. And, you know, these people had multiple uh, PhDs, some of them. Um, I actually sold the software that NASA used to get us on Mars, for example. So um, selling to actual rocket scientists. And what fascinated me, I love the sales aspect of it, but what fascinated me the most was the ways that people were using one piece of um, a language. It, it, we, we were selling a language and um, a, a platform for simulation of dynamic systems. Fancy word for saying, um, it's just kind of uh, the way that they would prototype things before actually building out the rocket ships. Um, and it was just fascinating the variety of things that people could do with this one language. There were some people who were doing really complex financial calculations. There were some people who were using the software to um, work with farmers and measure what um, combination of fertilizers and sun and water um, and different factors made oranges grow the biggest in orange trees. That was really interesting to me but it still seemed like a career that was unreachable because I didn't have a CS degree. And at the time that I was working at, um, at MathWorks, I had a bachelor's degree in business. And even though I was kind of early in my career, I already felt like I had invested so much into this business thing. And what I thought my passion or what my passion was at the time was entrepreneurship. And that was kind of how I ended up in sales. I decided that in 2015, I was going to follow my passions for entrepreneurship, quit the workforce altogether, and um, start this business. And I started this online business where I was selling natural foods, natural pet care, anything natural. Um, and what I was good at was the sales aspect of it. What I was the most interested in, because it was an online platform, was um learning liquid which is shopify's language is a ruby based language that their platform is built on um, using liquid to customize my website and so over time i really started to get more and more into this customization um the automation um aspect of it of sending emails and things like that 
from a technical perspective. And it got to the point where people were reaching out to me saying, hey, your website looks so good. Could you, I could, could I pay you to customize my Shopify website for me? And so this was kind of my first um, intro into, all right, hey, I'm really liking this. And this is the first time in my life I have something that I'm passionate about that I could also get paid to do. So I'm thinking about maybe I want to either pivot the, the business or start kind of a side business or a consulting business where I'm building Shopify websites. Still didn't seem, it was just kind of an idea. And then shortly after I started to get into, like I had, I had a couple clients who I was working with on their Shopify websites, I found out that I was pregnant. So I decided to go back into the workforce. I went back to MathWorks and um, went back into sales. And then um, it wasn't until about a year after that, that I was thinking of dibbling and dabbling. It happened after my sister's graduation. She graduated, she started with um, a CS degree and then changed it to uh, management information systems, which is kind of cybersecurity, the stuff that she's, she's doing now. I was at her graduation and I was just thinking like, why do I keep telling myself that I, I can't do, like, why do I keep writing it off as something that I can't do? Like I could either, I could always do coding as a hobby or just dibble in it and see whether or not it's something that I'm interested in. And so I thought about just um, at the time, what it, what it was, was I was going to just redo websites that I um, had seen that were kind of clunky. Like I redid my son's daycares website um, just for fun. And I, it, it started the wheels turning that I wanted to learn to code. Never really struck me as a career because I still in my head thought that I needed a CS degree. And then it wasn't until I saw this ad for Code Academy, um, I was looking at the comments underneath and somebody was like, hey, you don't need a degree to be an engineer or to, to work in web development. You, like I'm self-taught and, and I, I did it that way. And this was the first time that I heard this term self-taught. And um, that's kind of when the light, the lightning struck in my brain where I was like, oh, I didn't know that you could do this without a degree. So um, again, I um, decided that, you know, maybe I'll try it as a hobby, still kind of invested in sales, but over time, it just got to the point where I was looking so much forward to that coding um, part of my night. Like I would put my son to sleep and then I dedicated maybe a half an hour to coding, but I would, it would turn into four hours most nights because I loved it so much. And I was like, listen, I mean, I'm in sales really at this point for the money, for the security of it. Um, if this is something that I love to do and it's something that I could make money in, why not really give it a shot? Can you talk more about once you decided, you know, that you wanted to pursue this as a career, what were some of the resources you used? Code Academy was a big thing because I had seen the ad. It was right in front of me. Um, what I really liked about Code Academy was that um, I feel like one of the things that a lot of people are missing in their self-taught journey is just an order in um, or some structure in, in their learning. And so they might say, okay, I want to be a developer, but they don't know what kind of developer. Do I want to be a front-end developer? Do I want to be a back-end developer? Do I want to be a full stack? Do I really not mean developer? Do I mean designer? Um, and so they don't even know where to start with the language. And then from there, or sorry, they don't even know where to start with, you know, which path to take. And then from there, deciding which language to take 
And then once you decide on the language, how to learn it, like where to find the fundamentals, what fundamentals you need to know um, is a big question. And so what Code Academy gave me is that structure where I started with the fundamentals. It was called a web development path, I think at the time. And it started out with HTML and CSS and then went into beginner JavaScript, advanced JavaScript, and then gradually moved you into React and then um, back in JavaScript, node testing. And um, I feel like it gave me a good structure. So that was key for me um, in my learning. And then as a kind of a side thing, if I saw something that I was interested in, like, hey, I'm really interested in learning more about um, React hooks, I might take a separate course on React hooks um, and just kind of use Codecademy as my anchor and then dive out into different courses or articles and things like that, just as my interest would lead me. The, the other thing that I did was I found a mentor and um, this was part luck, but also part me being that salesperson um, and being that networker. So what I decided to do to figure out where I wanted to be in engineering or even if I wanted to be in engineering was I made it a goal for myself to invite a different engineer from my company um, out for coffee every week. Um, or every other week. And so I had a couple of different conversations and they started out as, why did you get into engineering? Um, how do you like it now? What things do you like about your job now? What things would you change? Um, what is your, the next step in your career path? Just to get an idea of the entire uh, org structure of, of engineering and what to expect. So I knew sales like the back of my hand. I knew that once you get promoted from this level, you go to this level, or this is a different path if you want to take the management path for sales enablement. I didn't know all that. So I got that out of those conversations. What I also got was um, I would ask them, like, who else should I talk to in engineering if I want to learn more? And I was saying, you know, I, I want to move from sales to engineering. And someone mentioned that there was someone in my company who had also made a switch from sales to um, product management to engineering. I had coffee with this person, Stephen Gladney, I'll shout him out. And um, he was like, hey, if you want to meet with me every week, let's do it. And he like he was the one that really pushed the mentorship relationship because I was like, um, I was kind of shy about it. And I was like, I don't want to waste this time if, you know, if I'm not going to be committed to this, or I don't know how things are going to get being a parent, um, you know, if things, or if things just might change because I'm in sales and the, the workload goes up and down. Um, but you know, he kind of held me to it or he, he nudged me and was like, listen, set up the meeting, <laughs> set up the next meeting. Um, and so we met once a week, every week for a year over lunch. And um, what the biggest thing I got out of that mentorship relationship was him giving me the real deal. Cause you can buy as many courses as you want. Um, but the, what you're actually doing when you get into that role is a hundred times out of a hundred different than um, what you learned in your course. And so what he would tell me is okay, this part of your course is kind of outdated, or this is something that you don't really need to worry about, um, or this is something that you may not already be thinking about, but how about this? And then he would also give me tips and tricks and also um, give me a view into, okay, these are the people that you could talk to. These are the different resources that you can use um, or communities that you can join if you're interested in um, being more a part of this. So 
in a nutshell, I would say the two big things that I did was one, find a structure for learning. Um, and that started with really kind of planning a path for myself, like what I, what do I want to be? Do I want to be a UI engineer, which I did? Um, what languages do I want to work with? And then the second thing is finding somebody who will hold you accountable and then also act as your mentor and or um, sponsor or advocate. Yeah, he sounds amazing. Oh, he is awesome. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll shout him out again. He just, um, he's been, he started his own company, um, and he just left our, our company to do it full time. Um, so I'm super excited for him, but yeah, it's when you, it's like I said, part of it is luck. I know not everybody can have that, but, um, I, I super, super lucky to have him, but, um, I would say, you know, just networking, it doesn't have to be a formal relationship, like the one that me and Gladney had where you're meeting every week, you can adopt different mentors and have just people um, in your Rolodex, so to speak, or um, your, your phone. I don't even know what it would be called in, in these times, somebody in your, in your phone book, <laughs> address book, um, just have people on hand to call and ask questions to, you don't have to ask, like, pop the question, will you be my mentor? In fact, don't do that. Don't, don't ask anybody, um, will you be my mentor? But just start with, um, you know, some light questions, want to learn more about the industry, want to learn more about what you do, how you got in here, um, and let it naturally progress from there. Seems like much smarter to do asking specific questions, like you said, rather than will you be my mentor, which is just putting a lot of work on someone else. I feel like by asking that question. Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, especially about how, you know, these courses, they can be outdated or they're maybe not painting the full picture. And so it's so important when you have someone like that, who can actually tell you like, this is actually the reality of what you're going to be doing. That was that was super helpful. And, um, I, I'm a, I'm an advocate for looking for multiple, looking for, um, information in multiple places. Um, just because one person tells you, and there's always going to be like the people who talk the loudest about, um, don't do this, don't do that. Um, or do it this way. Um, their opinions are only right sometimes. So um, listen to a number of different opinions about different things, but, you know, even to add more nuance to the whole, like, don't strictly follow exactly what the, what your course says um, and use that as your single source of truth. Also don't listen to just what one person says. So just because somebody is really against this certain tech stack or um, this certain library at the place that they work or whatever they're doing um, doesn't mean that it's not used anywhere. So just do your research, ask a lot of questions um, and ask a variety of people so that you get a holistic view of what's out there and make decisions for yourself. I want to talk a little bit more about this post that you wrote, five things I learned by asking developers one question. And in it, you talked about how you needed to be very strategic about your time. You're a full-time mom. You're a single mom. I want to ask you more. I think there's a lot of people who might be listening and they want to transition into tech, but they feel like they just don't have the time. Um, and I want to, I want to ask you more about, you know, what are some tips on how can you use your time very efficiently, which you obviously did. Yeah. And let me start with saying that it is not easy. And 
you may or may not, if you have your volume turned up, be able to hear my three-year-old screaming <laughs> and jumping around. Um, he's obsessed with dinosaurs, so I know he's <laughs> pretending to be a dinosaur out there um, in the hallway right now. Uh, so it's it's really not easy, and especially in a pandemic um, where, in my case, I have I pulled him out of daycare, and he's home with me full time while I'm working full time working a demanding sales job and sales. Um, if you've ever done sales or know anybody in sales, it doesn't just, it's not a nine to five thing. It's you're kind of at the mercy of your customer. And then most salespeople don't just sell to their own time zone. So you're at the mercy of their time zones, um, different countries, time zones, and just whenever they feel like getting back to you and making decisions. Um, so balancing that and then trying to learn and then be a good mother all the time, the same time, just trying to keep my sanity. And I think the biggest thing that I did was what I call this maniacal level of prioritization. And um, I, so I, I it, it took me really deciding which things were the most important and what things I was going to spend that time, my, my time on. Um, I like to say that I can have everything or you can have everything you want, just not all at the same time. And so I was like, all right, I can dedicate, let's say the next year, year and a half to really learning this, but I need to cut something out. And so what that looked like for me is that, okay, I knew that I want to be a good mom. That's my number one thing. So I need to have my focused time with my son dedicated. Um, I need to do a good job at my job because if I get fired, then, you know, none of this is, none of this is happening. So do a good job at my current job. Um, I really want to learn and I want to move into this new career. So that's three things on my plate. Um, and then just for sanity and then for health and, um, because it gives me more energy, I need to make sure that I get my workouts done. So, those are the four, those are the four top things in my life. Then everything else I really either have to cut out or, you know, I'll have to cut out time for something that really means something to me in order to make time for it. So I just didn't. So I stopped drinking. I stopped, um, watching Netflix. I would do it maybe once a, once a week or something like that. Um, and by Netflix, I mean, just TV. Um, I use that as the same term, but, um, just watching TV or movies, things that I really didn't care too much about. Um, and then I had to say no to a lot of people who wanted to hang out or um, do the same things. And it's it's not like the the friends that I have that are the, the good friends, they understand and they know that they'll get their time um, when I have time, but they know that it's, it's really busy. So I didn't feel like I was losing out on a lot, um, but I did have to be really focused and diligent about the way that I spent the time. So I had kind of a schedule for myself and it, as any parent know, or any human knows, no day is perfect. Um, but what I would do is I'd wake up at six in the morning, get my workout in before the baby wakes up. Then um, right after that, before COVID, I would drop them off at daycare and then go to work and have that focused time until five. In COVID um, or in quarantine, I was, uh, there was a, it wasn't as, you know, hard and fast as like nine o'clock, I'm, I'm at work. Um, it was more like 9.45, I work and then 9.46, I'm not working anymore. Um, and then, and then, so at five o'clock, I would say, all right, this is my time. I'm done with work. 
now I'm spending my dedicated focus time with my son and I have to be present for him. And then right after bedtime, that was when I would spend my time coding. And like I said, I would dedicate um, or I tell myself I, I can get half an hour of coding time in or promise that to myself every day. But because I loved it so much, it would end up being until like 12 in the morning or one in the morning. And then I'd be like, all right, it's, it's time to go to bed, Chande. So um, I would go to bed. And now that I'm in the engineering world, I have that free time again, where I can spend, instead of spending those nights on side projects, I can spend that time on other things because I'm coding for work during the day. So like I said, you can have everything. It's just not all at once. And it took me about a year and a half from the time that I really decided that I wanted to um, switch careers into the time that I got my offer. And um, the timeline will look different for everybody. Um, and not everybody has the same priorities or the same schedule or the same um, different things going on in their lives. But um, if you decide that it's something that you want to do, I would say figure out how to make time for it. Um, it may involve cutting things out for a while, but you absolutely can do it. Yeah. And I think one of my takeaways from what you just said is you just have to start saying no to a lot of things. And that mm -hmm. I think that um, is good advice that I don't really hear as much because we just, you know, it's kind of, it's not a fun reality maybe to, like you said, you stop watching Netflix or you only watch it sometimes, or you stop hanging out with friends as much. And it's not the most fun thing to do, but I think that's really like realistic and good advice about, um, that's kind of what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just for a while. It's not forever. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't have to never watch Netflix again. And, and I'm not saying that I didn't have, like I said, not every night is perfect. Um, there were nights mm -hmm. where there were temper tantrums or, you know, I just didn't feel like it, you know, um, and that's totally fine. And I do call myself a squirrel in that I get very <laughs> distracted very easily. Um, so I had to even be strategic and I will write a post about this someday, but I had to be strategic in the way that I procrastinated and the, in my distractions. So, um, I had to set up distractions for myself, like preemptively plan like, okay, Shonda, you know that at around two o'clock, you get kind of antsy. Um, put some coding games on your phone or um, download the Code Academy app so that you can get distracted instead of scrolling through um, social media, which I deleted uh, Facebook as well. Um, instead of sc scrolling through, what you'll scroll through is code challenges. Um, or, you know, build a community so that if you do get distracted and you just, or if you do need a distraction and you just want to talk to somebody, you're talking to somebody who's, uh, who you, you, who you have coding in common with or learning coding. So the conversation is naturally going to end up being about coding. So, um, that was kind of some safeguards that I put in place to make sure that even though I know, or especially because I know that I can get distracted so easily that even my distractions were pushing me that next step closer to my goals. Definitely. That is such a good idea uh, for anyone who's listening, trying to figure out like when you get distracted, how you get distracted and how you can fix that. 
there's a lot of advice out there about learning how to code, but it seems like we don't talk as much about how we're in this world where the norm is just to be like constantly distracted. I think because it is the norm, you know, checking your Twitter every five minutes, it's almost even more valuable if you can start focusing much more deeply. Right. And they, they set it up that way. So you, you, you have to have that sense like Twitter, Twitter is meant to be a distraction. Um, and they, they make it as sticky as possible so that you don't want to get out of it or so that every break that you have is, is, um, centered on Twitter. So even, you know, if you are kind of Twitter obsessed, like I am, (laughs) um, follow, people in tech like or and this is how I how I got and this is how you and I got introduced medicine through Twitter but um this is how I got to know so many of the devs um and be so involved in the dev community was through distraction and I never really thought about it like this before but um as I was learning at the time it was a way to hold myself accountable to um, say, all right, I'm committed to learning and do it out loud. When I had some followers who were at my company, I didn't want them to come back and be like, hey, how's the coding going? And I'm like, oh, I, that was like a month ago. I stopped doing that. So I wanted, um, I wanted to have that accountability. So I was learning out loud. And um, I started to use that hashtag 100 days of code because that was going to be my goal at the time. Um, I don't think I, I mean, I didn't officially finish the 100 days of code, but I've definitely done more than 100 days of code now. Um, and through that hashtag, I started to meet people like people would follow the hashtag and then they comment on my um, posts or they engage with me and I engage back. And then um, I met more friends. And so even when I was distracted, like, okay, I got to pick up Twitter. It was more like, okay, well, what did I learn today? So what can I tweet about? And it would kind of build that muscle of teaching and learning at the same time, holding me accountable. And then also just scrolling through tweets with other people who were learning. And then I'd be learning through those tweets. So it's not all bad. Um, It was, but there is a level of strategy behind that too. You gave this really good talk on how self-taught developers can stand out in the application process. And I'd love for you to talk more on this and just tips for how they can stand out because I know a lot of people might be listening and they're self-taught developers and they're thinking, I'm just not going to be able to, you know, ever really stand out given that I don't have the relevant job experience yet. And given that I don't have the appropriate education, maybe they don't have a CS degree. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah, for the for those who haven't read the post, there was one tip that I gave for standing out as a non-traditional applicant. That tip, spoiler alert, is video. And um, I started using video as a sell as a seller um, to stand out to my potential customers or my prospects. And so there was a statistic, and the company that I'm at, Sales Loft, is. Um, very big on video for sales um, as part of the sales process. The statistic, I can't remember the exact number, but it's around 42%. um, You get 42% more engagement um, from potential prospects by using video in your email. And you use it strategically. There's like stats on even where to place the email within the body. I'm sorry, where to place the video within the body of the email um and the length of the videos and all that stuff so 
I started using it as a means of prospecting to, and the reasons why this is important is because video turns you from text, like a list of bullet points or value proposition into an actual human and humans buy from humans, humans engage with humans. Um, it makes you more relevant to the person. It makes you more memorable and stand out because really there's not that many people doing it as many as you would think. Um, and it helps to provide context that's really difficult to derive from written text. And so um, as I was doing these applications and um, or sorry, as I was doing my application for uh, moving into engineering, I thought about all of the ways that I don't stack up to all the people who have CS degrees or more experience or even have like blog posts out and stuff and have all this, this big presence and everything. And I'm like, how can I compete with these guys? Like I'm a salesperson and I took part of a, like, I didn't even finish my code academy. Um, I stopped at the end of the, the node thing. And so how can I even possibly even, how can I compete and how can I, how dare I say that I'm ready. Right. Um, but my mentor was, he nudged me too. And he was like, what, like, what could go wrong? Like, what, what do you think? He's like, you, you know, more than I do. And he's like, really, um, I, I say, you need somebody that's in your corner, uh, like he was, but he was like, yeah, you, you know, more than I, than I did at the time. Um, you have all the skills that you need for this job. If you look at the job requirements, you hit all those criteria. So what I really needed was same thing as in my sales process, a way to stand out from the competition, my competition being anybody else who's applying for the job. So I use my sales skills to um, find a way to stand out. And um, I leverage video very heavily in the application process. So there are two different types of video that I mean when it comes to applying for jobs. There's one, which is the um, intro video, which would be the kind of the equivalent to a cover letter, maybe a two to three minute video where you're talking about yourself, why you're a good fit for the job, um, why you, why now, um, and then just adding some context, kind of like a, like a cover letter, adding some context though that is difficult from to get from written text and then just kind of showing your personality as well. Um, the other one, which is the one that I leveraged the most heavily is the project demo video. And this is where your, um, my videos would be about three to five minutes long, but I would go through one of my portfolio projects and walk the the listener through as a user of that project. So one project that I did was um, I used SalesLoft's API to build an extension to the platform that I thought could be beneficial for um, AEs, uh, account executives, which was um, the role that I was in. And um, I painted the picture. This is the business case for it and everything, which, you know, is all stuff that I had thought about before I did this project, it was meant to solve a problem. So this is why it would be important. And then um, throughout the video, just adding in different nuances that they wouldn't have picked up from just looking at my GitHub repo. For example, I know that they, um, if I wanna be a UI engineer, it's important for me to have some concept of UX. 
and transitions. Um, so I added in, okay, well, when you click this button, just notice that little slight transition. It's hard to see. And then I went back and I did it. So let me show you, show you to you again. You see this little transition. Um, so this is where I got, gave some thought to UX, or this is where I gave some thought to accessibility. So you notice that the hover states stay the same, even though, you know, um, like I added some color to it or something like that. But um, I, it was really important to me to make sure that this is an accessible app. Um, all of this stuff, people aren't going to, if they're just scanning through a number of, like, let's say they have like 20 applications a day, um, which isn't unreasonable, they're not going to scan through to see, okay, did this person leave in focus states, or, you know, they may not even get to loading your app up and get to see the transitions. So this is where I'm emphasizing all the things that were important to me in the process and, the, and really adding this context that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It also, in a way, it shows that I'm human and gives them my thought process, which for um, managers, they want to be able to see that, I mean, I'm, I believe that everybody, I mean, not everybody, let's say, you know, 80% of the people that apply for the job are going to have the technical skills. So at the time that you submit your application, it's kind of a commodity. So um, you want to show them that in addition to having these technical skills that you're asking for, I also will bring to you these great, um, this great thought into UX or this great thought into accessibility or whatever is important to you. Um, I also said that I have a better understanding of the business because I was a salesperson um, or because I am a salesperson and we sell to salespeople, I'm able to make good engineering decisions um, in between the lines that make it a better, more functional product. So um, it's kind of like just the icing on the cake, um, finding different ways to do that and then communicating that through video, which I feel like one, it differentiates you because nobody else is using videos in their applications, um, but also gives them an idea of who you are, what's important to you and what else you're going to bring to the table. So, and also another thing it does is it gives you additional re or gives the, the person that you're talking to additional resources so that they can sell you to others in the company. So the recruiter that you're talking to, the manager that you're interviewing with, they're not the only person that's going to be involved in the decision to hire you. Um, they, they're, you know, the, the face and you may have already sold them on that, but 10 times out of 10, they're going to be working with somebody else and, you know, Hey, I know this person doesn't have the CS degree or the same experience as this other candidate, but this is why we should hire her. This is how, why we should hire him. And you're giving them all like this neat little package that they can present to anybody else. Just forward over this, this video that says, in your words, or is you saying in your words why you deserve this position and why um, you are the applicant that they want over somebody with a CS degree? Absolutely. I think that's such a valuable point to do um, to create these demos because like you said, first of all, almost no one even creates video demos, um, or at least to my knowledge, I almost never see them or when people are applying to one of the companies I've worked at, um, it seems quite rare. So you can really stand out by doing that. And then also second, a lot of people just send in, you know, here's my portfolio or here's my project. But then 
if you're looking at it, you're kind of poking around and without the video demo, they don't really know. So like, what's the really cool feature on here you worked on, or, you know, what's a, a interesting bug you fix. They're kind of just on their own. Whereas kind of like you said, with the video demo, you can kind of paint a story and, and kind of show off the things you did with this project. seems like it makes a huge difference. Exactly. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of the complaints that I'll see about the application process in general is that the things that you're doing and say the coding challenges um, aren't necessarily what you would do on the job. Um, I think you can make it into something or you can turn it into something that you're you're interested in. So the coding challenge that I did, um, like I, I, I saw the connection between what I'm doing now and what I, or what I'm doing now on the job and what I had to do for the application. But um, when you do the video, you can also help to show them that you can connect the dots. So um, I wish I had a, a good example, but um, let's say like data structures, it may be a very small part of the job or not part of the job at all, but you can, um, or it's your job to kind of figure out a way to communicate, all right, well, I did this work in learning data structures, or I added this part of, let's just go back on the accessibility example, I added this um, additional piece, this accessibility part of it, because this is something that's important to me. And I also think that this is important to your customers or the users of your platform. Um, so you're just showing them, you, there's no right answer, but you just want to show them that um, this is something that, you know, this is more of your thought process. And then this is why you are a fit for the company. Like they really don't get that type of context as they're going through, um, other applications or reviewing people's challenges. Uh, nobody else is doing that, like you said, Madison. Yeah, absolutely. And I really encourage anyone listening to, you know, try out some of these things that you were talking about um, instead of just, you know, kind of doing the same thing as everyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, thank you so much, Shande, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Madison. Yeah, I um, look forward to connecting with you all. If you're looking for me, you can find me basically anywhere just using my first name as a handle. So um, that's one of the perks of having a unique name. On Twitter, I'm at Shandai, S-H-A-U-N-D-A-I. Dev is where I host a lot of my articles. So dev.2 at Shandai. Um, LinkedIn, I'm one of the only Shandais on the workforce. So <laughs> look, look <laughs> me up. Um, happy to connect with you, answer any questions that you have. Um, yeah, and thank you for having me here, Madison.